Do you feel like there are not enough minutes in your hours or days in your weeks? Are you starting to feel like your life is leaving you tired all the time? Bay Hills Community Church is pleased to have you join us as we begin a new series, Overwhelmed. This week, Lead Pastor David Fossil helps us look at ways to deal with being overwhelmed at work. Join us as Pastor Dave points out a few things that Jesus had to say about work and the impact that comes when we apply those truths to our own lives. My schedule is packed beyond belief. I have a to-do list that never seems to end. I have to work even on my day off. The fridge just went out on me on the weekend when I was camping and all my food went bad. Now I've got to spend almost $1,000 on a new fridge. My cell phone fell off onto the pavement. That broke. I've got to get a new one of those. When I was at Albertsons last week, my brand new car got dinged and they didn't leave a note on the windshield. My neighbors are nosy. My kid's going through a phase. My co-workers are unbearable. And my spouse and I have been arguing a lot lately. You know, I'm, I'm really struggling physically. I've got health issues. I'm struggling financially. I can barely make ends meet. I'm struggling spiritually. I have questions and, and doubts in my soul, and I, I don't feel like I can talk to anyone, even, even here. I'm stressed. I'm lonely. I'm frustrated. But most of all, I'm just tired. The reality is that every single one of us at some point in time goes through a season of feeling overwhelmed. It doesn't necessarily mean you've done anything wrong. It's one of the cycles that we all go through as, as human beings. We're starting a brand new series today uh, based upon the Gospel of Luke that's going to take us through most of the summer. And we're going to talk about what, what does Jesus have to say to us in particular areas of our lives when we feel overwhelmed. Now, if you grab the study guide that's in your program, you're, you're going to see that this morning what we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about what do you do when you're overwhelmed with with work. What do you do when you're overwhelmed with work? I want to encourage you, if you have your Bible, to turn to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5 is where we're going to be. It's on page 720-ish on our brand new Bibles. If you want to grab one, if you're in the black chairs, there's, cha- there's Bibles on the back table. But in, in Luke chapter 5, we're, we're going to look at a story where Jesus gives us three or four ideas on what to do if we feel overwhelmed with work. Now, you, you know what, what this means, right? It, it, when you're overwhelmed with work, the commute's unbearable, right? Your co-workers are driving you crazy. Um, the, workload seem, the workload seems to be increasing, but your benefits seem to be decreasing. Your, your boss is demanding or incompetent, aloof. He's a nutcase. Um, you know, you're underpaid, but, uh, uh, but, uh, but overworked. And it just kind of goes on and on, right? We all kind of get, get an idea. So some of us are, are, are overwhelmed because we don't have work. Okay, or we want more work, and we're having a difficult time supporting our family. Well, what does God want us to do when we feel overwhelmed at work? There's three things in this story that I want you to pay attention to. The first thing, if you're jotting down notes, is you need to evaluate your job. You need to evaluate your job. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen. But in these verses, in Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 27, here's what we read. It says, after this, Jesus went out and he saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him, and Levi got, got up, left everything, and followed him. Now, a tax collector in those days is, is a little bit different than it is today. It was a combination IRS agent. 
um, collections agency processor, a mafioso uh, um, a strongman, and, and financial planner all rolled up into one. It was a very stressful position. Even though you could make a lot of money on it, it was a very stressful position. And certainly, someone like Levi later named Matthew in, in the gospel w- would have experienced feeling overwhelmed because of his job. Now, what you see in these first two or three verses are some keys in terms of changing your perspective as you evaluate your job. And this, in and of itself, will help you deal with feelings of, of being overwhelmed at work. Let's put them up on the screen. There's three things I want to encourage you to do. First of all, in, reflect on, on the worth or the value of your work. Reflect on the worth or the value of your work, no matter whether you're a stay-at-home mom, whether you're a carpenter, whether you're a school teacher, whether you work in law enforcement or the medical field, whether you look inside or outside, understand that there is value, there is worth to your work. Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God creates the world and the first conversation he has with Adam and with Eve is, I want you to care for and work the garden. One of the last chapters in the Bible, in the book of Revelation, we're told that when we get to heaven, we will all have tasks or chores or work to do. Why? Why does it say this in the first couple chapters of the Bible and in the last couple chapters? It's because it's trying to remind us that there is worth, there is value in work. Every once in a while, I'll have a young adult or a teenager say to me, Pastor, I I just don't know what God's will is for my life. I don't know what God wants me to do. I know what he wants you to do. Get off the couch and get a, get, get a job. Some of you parents are like, say that again, Dave. Say that one more time. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. God created each and every one of us to work. Why is there value and worth in our work? Well, for one, it does pay the bills. And don't discount that. You come a point in time in your life when mom and dad should not be paying your bills. Or they should not be paying at least all your bills. Okay? Uh, there comes a worth, a work is valuable because it, it develops your character. Learning how to work with difficult people and in stressful situations will develop your character if you allow it. Okay? It gives you an opportunity to contribute to society or to wherever you're working. There is worth and value to your work. I don't care how overwhelmed you feel. So change your perspective a little bit. Second of all is remember that work is and will never be easy. Let's just take the position of tax collector. One of the most difficult jobs in the times of Jesus because, you, in essence, you worked for the enemy, the Roman government, and you were trying to get taxes from your fellow Jewish shopkeepers and farmers and people you went to high school with. Not an easy job. Now, the reason I mention this is that, honestly, some of us are very naive in this area. We assume that if, if I go work at a good company or if I go work at a church or if I go work in an area that I'm really skilled at, then everything's going to be fine. Absolutely not. You can expect that if the work is going great right now, at some point in time in the next month, five months, or a year, you are going to feel overwhelmed. You go, well, when are the people that I work with going to grow up? Answer is never. It's just part of life, okay? And you, you need to kind of expect this. Now, the reality is that for some of us, there is even more stress and even more difficulties and even more challenges at our work because... And hold on, because I'm going to throw a big one at you right now. Some of you are in the wrong job and career choice. The reason you're experiencing some of the feelings of being overwhelmed is nothing more than you're in the wrong career. 
Very interesting, some of the statistics. Princeton Management Association, through surveys, estimates that up to 80% of America's workforce is in the wrong job. 80% of us. 50% of executives at companies admitted that if they had to do it all over again, they'd choose another career. A sociologist that I was reading suggested that the, the breakup of the American family can be attributed primarily to people being dissatisfied with their jobs. And I can see that. Because you show me someone who hates their job, who doesn't like their job, and I'll show you someone who has very little to give back to their spouse and to their kids when they come home at night. Now, for those of you who are a little bit younger, this might be easier to do. For those of us who are a little bit older, shifting careers and jobs is difficult to do. But that's essentially what Jesus asked Levi to do. You're a tax collector. What I want you to do is, what does he do? He leave everything. But, but I've already got seniority. I've been at the company for 15 years. I want you to leave everything, and I want you to go from being a tax collector to being what I really made you to be. I made you made to be a disciple of Jesus. That's your new job title. How do I find a job that I should work at? Part of the problem is we ask the wrong question first. The first question, our society trains us, and even some of us parents are, are whispering in our kids' ears, is make sure you work in a job where you can support yourself financially. The problem is that, that is a valuable question, but it is not the first question you should be asking. The first question and the first way you choose a career that fits you, or a career that you should be in, is find a job that fits you, that fits your personality that fits your gifting, that fits your talents, that fits who God has made you uniquely to be. He's made every single one of us uniquely. He did not have a cookie-cutter approach. We're all unique. Some of us are good working with our hands and fixing things, and some of us are good on computers, and some of us are good working with people, some of us are good selling things, some of us are good teaching, others are good... It's all kinds of different skills. The first thing you do is find something that fits you. And then the second thing is, does it reasonably or can it reasonably pay the bills? Don't, don't misunderstand me, especially the young people. You don't just go into some profession just because you enjoy it, you know? Any of the young people, I want to be a sports broadcaster. You know, it's kind of the conversation Jerry has with his friend George on Seinfeld. Well, they typically give those jobs to people in broadcasting, you know, or people in sports. Just because you enjoy doing it doesn't automatically mean you're going to be able to, question number two, pay the bills. But whatever you end up doing, bullet point number two, remember that work is never easy. It's never easy. So change your chip in your brain when you go to work tomorrow. You're going to have some issues. So chill out just a little bit, okay? The third thing is realize that your work is a testimony. If you notice in your study guide, there's a couple verses there at the bottom of the first page. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11 says this. From the Living Bible, make it your aim to live a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to earn your living. That's a verse on work. Now, notice what it says. If you do that, if you are a productive employee, in this way you will win the respect of those who are not believers. One of the ways you share your faith is not by pulling out your Bible. One of the ways you share your faith is by being a good employee. 
The second verse says the same thing. Daniel chapter 6, verse 3. Daniel, uh, someone who loves God, working in a secular, non-Christian environment. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and priests. Because of his great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. One of the things you got to do is, in the midst of your stress, in the midst of being overwhelmed at work, realize that depending on how you handle that situation, you can be a testimony to people around you. You can actually draw them closer to Jesus based upon how you handle yourself. So step number one, if you're overwhelmed at work, evaluate your job. Think differently about your work. Step number two, write this down. You need to evaluate your soul. You need to evaluate your soul. When you continue to read in verse 29, here's what you read. Then Levi had a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to the disciples, Why do you eat and you drink with sinners? And here comes the key verse. Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. About three years ago, I got my doctorate of ministry from Fuller Seminary. And uh, right after I got that, a friend of mine got me one of these to have fun. A stethoscope. Now, I don't have the kind of doctorate that allows me to work at Kaiser. I have a doctorate of ministry. So, so while, while if you come to me for health issues, I can try and take out your appendix, but I'm not going to promise you it's going to work out, okay? I can try and do Lasix on you, and I might get one out of two. But I'm not that kind of a doctor. I'm the kind that has been trained not to give physical advice, but to give spiritual advice. So what I want to do is I want to put on my doctor scrubs right now, and and I want to diagnose for you some illnesses that some of you have, some conditions that some of you have, spiritual in nature, that are contributing to you being overwhelmed at work. It's the condition that you have. If you look in your study guide, you can fill out the answers, or we can put them up on the screen. The first two I want to talk to you about are, first of all, the chronic cutthroat syndrome. Do you know someone who has this? This is the individual who will do whatever they need to do to get ahead and make money. This is the person that steps over people, who takes advantage of people, who lies, cheats, and steals for career advancement. Now, career advancement is important, but how you do it is equally important. And if you are a cutthroat kind of a person, whether you realize it or not, it is bouncing right back at you from all your other co-workers, and they are causing some of the situation of stress and overwhelm that you have in your life. Another one is verbal halitosis. Sounds like the Spirit is working on some of you right there. You haven't even read it yet. This is when you're argumentative, you're a complainer, you're sarcastic, disrespectful, and rude with your words. Halitosis is basically when someone has bad breath, right? When someone has bad breath, rarely do we tell them, do we? We just kind of back away. We try and stand sideways. We don't say anything to them. And then the first person we see, we're like, man, they got some nasty breath. I don't know what's wrong with them. You know, we tell others about them. And that's exactly what's happening to some of you at work. You, through your words, are rude and disrespectful and hurtful. And they are not telling it to your face, but they are going behind your back, talking about you, and it is causing you stress, and you don't even know it. Because of this illness and condition. Let's put the next two up there. Arrogance, allergies. This is people who are prideful and conceited. You always think you're the employee of the month. This is a lack of humility in a sense that I'm the only one that really contributes around here. Right? And some of us have that. It's a problem of conceit and pride. 
And, and that's not a pretty trait. None of us want to be around those kind of people. It's one thing to be confident. It's quite another thing to be cocky. The next one is spiritual dyslexia. Self, it's when your self-worth comes from work accomplishments or the title on your business card instead of God's view of you. Why this condition and illness is so dangerous is because if you have, quote, spiritual dyslexia, if your self-worth and self-esteem comes from what you accomplish, the title on your business card, what you put on the wall and all your educational achievements, now what I have to end up doing is impressing you for all the good things I've done. Have you ever talked to someone and you feel like they're just giving you their, their resume? Like they're going down their resume. Or you tell them a story and they always have to one-up you. This is a condition of spiritual dyslexia. It's, it's someone trying to say, wow, you, you really are good. And you've got to be careful with this. It's a serious condition because our self-worth and self-esteem should come from none other than God himself. That's where it should really come from. Let's put the last two or three up there. Hammock hemorrhoids. I bet you never thought you'd see that word on a screen at church. Here it goes. This is when it's, you, you seem to rest more than work. You seem to, to loaf around the coffee pot instead of contribute. You, you don't really carry your weight at work. Have you ever worked with someone like this? It, it's like, well, what are you doing? Are you getting anything done? And what you get done in one day takes them a week to get done. Right? Now, if, if you have this condition, if you have hammock hemorrhoids, you may not realize it, but everyone in the office thinks you're a pain in the... Now, the last word helps you fill in the blank, if you know what I mean. It's a problem, okay? Worry ward. This is someone who imagines negative, worst-case scenarios, constantly nervous and anxious. Do you know that the word worry ward was first invented to refer to someone who worries and is anxious, and by their own worry, they cause warts in other people? That's how the word was first created. I don't know if you could do that, but that's how it was created. The idea is that my worry affects everyone else. And then it bounces right back at me. It's stressful and overwhelming situations. The last one. This is the drill sergeant migraine. This is especially for those of us that have people that report to us. If you supervise anybody in any capacity, this may be one of your conditions. You push too hard. You expect too much. You compliment too little. Now, here's what I'm trying to say. I'm going to put my stethoscope on, and I'm going to give you a diagnosis. Here's the diagnosis. The problem with each of these conditions is that at their root, there's a sin behind it. Let me show you what I mean. Let's put it on the screen. Jesus said, I have come to work with those who are sick, who have spiritual issues and conditions, and some of us do. I'm also going to give you a prescription as your pastor. Every night, you need to take at least one pill of repentance. You need to think through, am I doing any of these things at work? And confess them. Repentance is the process of admitting you do it and then trying to change. Step number one, evaluate your job. Think differently about your job. Step number two, evaluate your soul, okay? Is it, is it something within me that is causing this problem? It's not my boss. It's not my coworkers. It's not my commute. It's me. I have one of these conditions. Step number three, let's wrap it up. You need to evaluate your workload. Now, you see in chapter six that he begins a brand new discussion. 
Brand new discussion. By the way, one of the things that I really like about the Circuit City building is there's no clock in this building. So I'm not responsible for time. So I'm just going to keep right on going. I have no clue what time it is. But step number three, <laughs> that made everyone nervous. Um, if I <laughs> okay, chapter six. One Sabbath, Jesus was um, walking through the grain fields and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands and eat the kernels. Sabbath was a law that was created in the Old Testament to make sure we balance work and rest because God instinctively knows that some of us will overwork. We will overwork at our jobs. We will overwork at our churches and we will overwork at home. So he creates this law called the Sabbath. Six days I want you to work. One day I want you to rest essentially. Six days the way it works in our culture is five days we work for our company, our employer. One day we work for our families running around doing laundry and you know all the things you do at work. And then the last day, typically Sunday, uh, we, we, we do this thing called a Sabbath, okay? That, that's how it was first created. Uh, it, he continued to read on verse 2, and you read this. Uh, some of the Pharisees asked Jesus, why are, you, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Now, anytime you see the word Pharisee, there's an implication that the motive behind what they're doing is flawed, because the Pharisees were always trying to get Jesus to, 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 to do something wrong. They were always trying to trip him up. So when they ask this question, instinctively we should think, ah, their, their, their motive is wrong. But don't get away too quickly from this. The other thing we know about the Pharisees is in that culture, they were the ones that knew this book the best. So while their motives may be wrong, the content of their question is correct. Why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Why are you doing on your Sabbath day what you ought not be doing? For some of us, we are overwhelmed at work because of the workload that we have brought upon ourselves. Now, sometimes it is certainly the the corporation, the boss that's put it on us. But some of us in our society, we refer to these folks as workaholics. Workaholics. Uh, Alcoholics are addicted to, to wine and alcohol and beer. Workaholics are addicted to work. It's this compulsive need to work. Now, don't get too far ahead of yourself. Every one of you should understand, and we should all understand that there are seasons in our life that you're going to have to put in 60 to 65 hours a week. You know, if you're an accountant, tax season, you're going to have to put in a chunk of time. You know, if you're a staff member at Bay Hills, the last three weeks, you're going to have to put a chunk of time working here, right? Getting this building ready. If you're a teacher, my guess is at the beginning of the school year, you're going to have to put in a chunk of time. If you work at the mall, one of the stores, between Thanksgiving and Christmas, you're going to have to put in a chunk of time. I'm not talking about having to put in extra hours during certain weeks. I'm saying a compulsive need to work and work and work and work over and over and over again. So I ask you the question that was posed to Jesus. Are you doing what God wants you to be doing on your Sabbath? See, if you're burning the candle at both ends, you're not as bright as you think you are. Some of you have so many candles in the fire, you're just about ready to put out the fire. An unwillingness to rest is really a sign of immaturity. Every one of us who have parents have experienced what our young children say to us in the evening when we say it's bedtime. What do they say every single time? I don't want to go to bed. I'm not tired. Yes, you are, sweetie. Just lie down. You'll be sleeping in five minutes. No, I won't. I want to stay up. 
And that's what some of us as adults do with God. I'm not tired. I don't need to sleep. Yes, you do. Now, real quickly to wrap up, in your notes, I'm going to give you the three reasons why the Sabbath was implemented. Three reasons. The first was that it was implemented to keep your body from wearing out. Keep your body from wearing out. In your study guides, Ecclesiastes chapter uh, Ecclesiastes 10.15, only someone too stupid to find his way home would wear himself out with work. Isn't it true that there's always something to be done? There's always emails to be, to, to, that you have to answer in your inbox. There's always chores around the house. It never always gets done. I came across this, this quote. It says, a woman's work is never done, especially the part she asks her husband to do. <laughs> Some of you are like, I like that. I'm going to write that down. Put that on the refrigerator. We got Father's Day coming up. I'm going to give you some props, guys. I got all kinds of jokes about the girls, so uh, just wait for that. Have you ever gone on vacation with a workaholic? Maybe your dad was a workaholic. Do you remember how those vacations went? Right? First day of vacation. Everybody up, 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 up. We got to make the most of the day. You know? We're going to be in the car by 6.15 a.m. Right? And we will have two things that will be true at 6.15 a.m. when we all get into the car. The gas tank will be full and your bladders will be... I don't know what the deal is. Go take a pee. Hurry. Go to the bathroom. Go, 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 go. Right? And God help the poor child whose bladder is full before the gas tank is empty. Because we're not stopping. No, no. Right? And then you go on vacation with your workaholic parents and you go to the city and you got to see all 17 museums because we're here. You know? And we're going to be driving past a third cousin we've never met, but we got to stop and see him. They're right here, you know. you got to take a picture of every historical site. You can't wait to get home so you can rest again. Okay, now that I got that off my chest, I'm sorry. <laughs> One of the reasons God gives a Sabbath day is to keep your body from wearing out. So you can rest physically. One of the most spiritual things some of you could do today is go home and take a nap. Because really, some of you look awful. You really do. Okay. Don't take a nap now. Wait until you leave. Okay, point number two. The Sabbath was implemented to keep your spirit from tuning out. To keep your spirit from tuning out. Psalm 22, verse 1 in your study guide. I rejoice with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. This elderly lady was very impressed with a young man who lived next to her. And she said, you are such a nice young man. Why did you turn out so great? He said, well, it's actually kind of strange. As a young boy, I had a, I had a drug problem. She said, really? That just doesn't seem like that. Explain that. She, he goes, no, really? He said, when I was a young boy, my parents would drug me to church on Sunday morning, drug me to church on Sunday night, and drug me to church on Wednesday youth group. You know, one of the most... Disciplined things and mature things you can do as an adult is drag your butt to church even when you don't feel like coming. Sometimes I don't feel like coming. Sandy says, you got to go. You're the pastor. <laughs> Honestly, don't we every once in a while, Saturdays, we're like, oh, I think tomorrow, you know, we kind of make up, you know, I think I'm getting a little cold. Oh. Right? We all do it. Right? But God wants you on your Sabbath day to make sure your spirit doesn't tune out from Him. It's like going and getting an oil change in your car. 
It keeps things running smoothly. And oh, by the way, one of the things I like from Psalm 122, verse 1, and then even the next verse, you know, I, I, I rejoice with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. This is not the psalmist saying I should go to church this morning. This is him acknowledging someone else called and reminded me, emailed me, texted me, you should really go to church with me. Isn't it true every single one of us can think of at least one friend, one person who used to be in church and is no longer going? It is not my responsibility to go get them, it's yours. To do what it says in Psalms. Why? To help them recalibrate spiritually. So one of the reasons uh, that the Sabbath was created is to rest physically, to refocus spiritually. The Sabbath was created, the last one we're going to wrap it up with this, to keep your soul from burning out. To keep your soul from burning out. Before I had, ki- I had kids, Sandy and I had kids, uh, my, my off day was Mondays. Sunday's not an off day for, for the staff, obviously. My off day, my day off was Monday. Uh, and then things changed at, at church and we needed, you know, they needed me to kind of get things rolling quicker. So, so now I take it Friday. But my, my, my off day used to be on Monday. And I remember we, we lived in Terra Hills at the house right off O'Connor and Sandy would go to work. And my, my off days, I had chores and I had tasks and I was doing this and I was running here. And I had a to-do list, essentially, for my day off, right? And, and I would run, 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 go, 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 go. You know, part of that's my personality. But I remember one particular Monday, Sandy had already left, and, um, and uh, I, I rushed out the door, you know, getting ready to do all my things, and I was like, oh, shoot, left my keys inside. So I went to the front door, locked, oh, no. Then I went to the side doors, locked, went to all the windows, locked. I'm like, what am I going to do? I have this list of things to be done, right? And then as I'm walking around the house trying to figure out how to break into my own house, I saw the doggy door <laughs> from the backyard going into the garage, Right? Now, we have a beagle, had a beagle back. It was just a small doggy door. And I'm like, I think I can make it. So I started. <laughs> so I started crawling in. I still remember my dog at the time, Chucho. That was a dog before Chavi. He looked at me. He was a beagle. He looked at me. He didn't even get out of his bed. He looked at me. He was like, you are an idiot. <laughs> Which is exactly how I felt when my belt got stuck in the casing and I couldn't move my arms and I was stuck. I kid you not, for about 15 minutes. You know, and the dog did nothing to help me. He just watched me. I wonder if he's going to get out. Finally, I got in, hoping that the door between the garage and the house was open. I got there, tried to unlock it, locked. And I'm like, I don't know what to do now. I remember and I went and I sat outside on a chair in my backyard. This is, this is back in the dark ages before cell phones. How we survived without them, I don't know, right? So I couldn't call Sandy. I, could, I sat in the backyard... And one verse came to mind. The last verse on your study guide. The psalmist says, He makes me lie down in green pasture. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Did you catch that first phrase? He makes me lie down. And I thought to myself, that's exactly what God's doing. If you and I don't have the discipline to take a Sabbath... He will make you lie down. Typically that's called a flu bug or some other condition. What have we learned? Let's put the summary slide up there. If you're overwhelmed with work, evaluate your job. Think differently about your work. Look at it from a spiritual dimension. Look at it from a maturity dimension. Have the courage, some of you, to think... Maybe I need to change careers. 
It would be worth you making less money but getting in a, in a job that fits you than continuing to do what you're doing now until retirement. If you're young, make sure, make sure, make sure your first question is not, how much am I going to make? That should be the second question, not the first one. Evaluate your job. Second of all, evaluate your soul. Have the courage to think. Is the reason that I'm stressed at work, is it because of my boss, my coworkers, my commute, my pay, or is it because of something going on in myself? Have the courage to ask that question. And the last thing is evaluate your workload. Learn to take your Sabbath. Learn to honor your Sabbath. I'm going to wrap up in prayer. One last thing that I just want to mention to you um, is that some of you I realize and know because I've talked to some of you are really struggling at work. Um, There are issues going on or you're struggling because you don't have a job. One of the things I really do like about this new building is right over to my right, right over there is a prayer room. And everybody can see it. And uh, after each service, if you want prayer, you can just walk right over there. And I'm just going to say it real simple today. If you've got an issue at work, something you're really struggling with, you need work, just walk right on over there. Let someone pray for you for just a minute, and then you can go get coffee and donuts. And, and I just want to make sure you, you know that. You could just go right over there. There will always be someone. We're going to pray. We're going to have the worship team come up. We'll wrap up our service. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for what you've taught us this morning. Father, for those of us who are overwhelmed at work, you've given us some things to chew on. You've given us some things to work on. And, uh, Father, the reality is, is that maybe we realize now it's not all about other people. There's things that, that maybe I can work on myself. Certainly those of us who are overworking, certainly those who are always looking at, at, the, at the speck in our brother's eye without the, looking at the plank that is in our very own eye. Heavenly Father, you have given us life to live to its fullest, but because of Genesis 3 and sin, we realize there's going to be issues, there's going to be stress, we're going to be overwhelmed at times, and sometimes that happens at work. Tomorrow morning, or even this afternoon, as we head back to the shop, as we head back to the office, as we head back to wherever we're employed, whether we're at home or inside or outside, Father, I pray that we would go in with a new perspective. We love you. We pray this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said. It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, you can reach us on the internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, is radically committed to reaching the unchurched in the Bay Area and to developing believers into fully devoted followers of Christ. Thanks again for listening.